0: Welcome to this week's Motos and Friends, a weekly podcast from Ultimate Motorcycling and brought to you by the all-new latest generation Suzuki Hayabusa. It is the quickest, most technologically advanced and aerodynamic Hayabusa yet. Learn more about why the new Hayabusa is the ultimate ride at suzukicycles.com or of course you can head down to your nearest dealer and see the new Hayabusa for yourself. This week we bring you senior editor Nick De impression of BMW's completely revamped S1000RM Sport. This is the upright, hyper-naked version derived from the BMW S1000RR Superbike, and the version that Nick rode, of course, is the the top-of-the-line S1000R that comes with the M package and the Sport package as well. After that, we continue with the second and last part of my friend Gentleman George Puckhaber's fascinating story of his self-guided ride to the bottom of the world. This was a year-long trip to the lowest part of South America, the town of Ushuaia, Argentina. <laughs> Next stop, Antarctica, if you were so inclined. Anyway, from us here at Ultimate Motorcycling and the good folk at Suzuki bringing you the new Hayabusa, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Are you ready for this? The all-new 2022 Suzuki Hayabusa motorcycle is here. Widely regarded as the ultimate sport bike, the third-generation Hayabusa by Suzuki melds two generations of refinement, resulting in the quickest, most technologically advanced and aerodynamic Hayabusa yet. Led by the Suzuki Intelligent Ride System, the new Hayabusa gives riders electronic rider aids like the quickshifter and cruise control systems that simultaneously increase performance and comfort. With even stronger acceleration, the Hayabusa's 1340cc inline 4-cylinder engine and updated driveline deliver unmatched sport bike performance. And, staying true to its iconic design, the new Hayabusa's straighter and sharper lines make it the most aerodynamic Hayabusa ever. Plus, it comes in three new head-turning colour combinations and offers a full suite of available Suzuki genuine accessories you can choose from. These revolutionary superbikes are flying off the showroom floor, so head into your local Suzuki dealer now or visit suzukicycles.com to learn more. The ultimate ride awaits. So I understand you've been riding the uh, the S thousand R BMW uh, recently. Uh-huh. I have to say, I I rode it now. Must have been it was definitely a few years ago. But I have to say, I was very impressed with the bike. So I'm curious to hear what you thought.
1: Yeah, uh, this is the completely updated uh, 2022 BMW S1000R, and to kind of sweeten the deal, we are also dealing with the M package with a whole slew of goodies that we'll get into in a minute. Nice, Uh, So to be precise, this is the 2022 BMW S1000R M Sport. And, you know, that's if you go to your dealership, that's what you ask for. You can get the same exact thing that we are riding because primarily that's probably what's going to be brought into the United States and what you'll find sitting on dealership floors.
0: As you know, I have a Kawasaki Z900. Just the sort of the standard sort of cooking version, inline four-cylinder motor, um, and it does everything quite well. And this is essentially the BMW competitor to it, albeit probably double the price. So I'm curious, very curious, how much better the BMW is or would be.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are... They're definitely in different price points. And with that, you can have some different expectations in terms of, you know, horsepower, electronics, and different features that come standard or are optional. Uh, The Kawasaki is a really good bang for the buck motorcycle, sub 1,000 cc's. Uh, I think MSRP on that is somewhere in the low 9,000 range. When you're talking about something like the S1000R that is really going up against the upper echelon of hyper-naked motorcycles, things like the Aprilia Tuono, Ducati Street Fighter V4, the KTM Super Duke R. So that is legitimately the company that it's, it's in then? Correct. Now, the, the kind of the interesting thing is that with our, our up-spec uh, bike, the M Sport package, and that features you know some notable things like the sport muffler a little of cropovich slip-on muffler uh, lithium ion battery uh, forged wheels which are significantly lighter than the standard thing okay sport package so you get uh ride modes pro allows you to adjust your settings again per bmw standard uh operating procedures you have to pay for the privilege to adjust your electronics KTM is also guilty in this regard, <laughs> so <yeah>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and uh, we also come with DDC, which is Dynamic Damping Control. Um, so that's their electronic suspension from BMW. Okay, that's
0: a serious upgrade. That is a, that is a major upgrade, especially over, you know, the sort of the standard sort of Japanese type offerings.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, okay,
1: that's sort of the the big separator here is, you know, if you look at the European bikes. So your BMWs, your Ducatis, your Aprilia's, and the Augusta. And then you look at the Japanese offerings. The Japanese offerings are more than competent. In some cases, they do things that are just up to snuff with the, the European competitors. But these really are kind of pushing things into a class of their own, not just because of their price, but because of what they're capable of doing. And that's kind of where the new S1000R fits into this whole narrative that we're going to string together in a minute the previous generation was on the market for quite some time it hadn't seen a huge revision and the kind of hyper naked class as a whole has become increasingly competitive without doubt yeah and and it's also become extremely high performance as well you know again Street Fighter V4, Aprilia 2.10, Triumph Speed Triple 1200, RS, uh, KTM Super R. These are all high horsepower engines. So you're looking at anywhere from the 200 horsepower uh, V4, uh, Ducati V4, and then everything else is basically 170 plus.
0: Not least as well is BMW's own XR1000. Yeah. And I had one of those a couple of years ago. And I have to tell you, that bike was absolutely fantastic. My only complaint with it is it was adventure style and it's clearly not an off-road bike. And I I did think at the time, I wish they did this with the S1000R where you have a normal street bike, but with this level of power and refinement and, and, and all the amazing attributes that make the XR what it is. Why would you, why do you have to have that in an adventure style package if you don't want one? And I didn't, I, I don't particularly enjoy climbing all over some giant tall bike. I'd much rather have a more compact street bike. So I'm, I'm very happy that they've essentially done the same stuff to the standard hyper naked S thousand.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, when it comes to a uh, double R the XR and now the single R all share the same power plant. So You know, you're looking at uh, the most recently updated inline four engine from the double R bike, and that's the fully fared, you know, race replica um, S1000RR. And that has now trickled down into the XR that we just mentioned, and now the R. And I will agree with you. The ADV styled XR is a little bit, uh, it's a bit of a, you know, a big bike to chew for a lot of riders in terms of its physical size. You do kind of have to jump on there. The the saddle height is, if I remember correctly, it's up in the high 33-inch, if if not 34. Regardless, it's pretty high for a street bike, um, you know, especially one that's running 17-inch wheels. So the S1000R is your, your typical Naked machine, it's a lot more approachable in that regard, just in terms of seating position, but before we uh, get too off topic, let's go ahead and focus in on the motor. sure so they've done something kind of kind of clever with this nine hundred ninety nine CC engine. It's not running shift cam, which is only featured on the double r and they've also lowered the uh, red line when compared to uh, the double R. So the single R is down in the 12,000 range. Um, they've also done a couple little changes to the motor, such as um, changing the gear ratios in the later half of the gearbox, just making them a little bit longer. And that's really just to kind of give it more street ability, make it a bit more comfortable. Uh, sure. You could argue that it's going to increase fuel economy too, but really you're riding a naked sport bike. So that that that's just goes out the window.
2: Not exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but unlike its competitors, you know, if you think about the hyper naked class overall, we're talking just these huge horsepower, um, kind of monstrous engines in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Even if they're not really diving into that 200 horsepower uh, deep end, still dealing with bikes that are putting out like deep into the 170s, 180s, whole lot of torque, et etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. With this. BMW wanted to create an engine that was quite streetable, extremely approachable, and overall user-friendly. And I think that theme kind of fits into the rest of the bike as well. So you're dealing with numbers that are um, about 175 horsepower uh, that's cited at the crank from BMW. Um, And then in terms of torque, you're dealing with uh, around 84 foot-pounds of torque. Now, those are healthy numbers in my book. Yeah. For sure. And again, on par or not quite on par with some of the other members of the class, like the Speed Triple, V4, whatever. But what you get is an engine that is exceedingly smooth and also quite linear in its power delivery. Um, It even can feel just a little bit underwhelming on the bottom end because of how kind of predictable it is throughout the entire rev range. As you go up, you just get a little bit more of that torque and you go into the mid-range, you get just a little bit more punch. So it's pretty happy to just take off, you know, in second, third gear, whatever, at six, 7,000 RPM. And it has a lot of get up and go. It just doesn't have that sort of rowdy, slap you in the back of the helmet punch that the Super Duke might have or, or um, you know, the Tuono or something like that. Sure. In this case, it's actually... Quite friendly in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, as you pick up and you dive deeper into that rev range, you do get a lot more of it too. And it just builds. And it's something that I think a lot of riders can actually wrap their head around. And you get into maybe the 9,000 RPM range, and then things really start getting exciting. You get a lot of that classic <laughs> right. sort of inline for personality where there's good top end rush and the front end starts picking up all the way to the red line. Really? So that's pretty interesting. And crucially, the thing that they have sort of fixed between the double the R, what I did notice on the XR and this bike is when we first originally rode the, the I think it would be now the 2019 double R um, at Barber Motorsports Park a, a few years ago, um, when that bike first came to the United States, there was a pretty egregious flat spot in the rev range, especially in in second gear. That was just absolutely palpable. I remember you mentioning that, actually. Yeah, yeah. And it was pretty bad. Um, on the XR, Seem seemed to be getting worked out. On this bike, no. I, I don't notice any egregious flat spots in the RPM, which I'm glad to say has sort of gone the way of the Dodo. Excellent. So that's that's good. Fueling on uh, on all of your various modes. I think it's really smooth. There's no sharpness to it. Um, you know, in the most aggressive riding mode. Again, our bike was done up with all of the uh, bells and whistles. Uh, so we had ride modes pro, which does allow you to go in and change all of your respective settings from corner and ABS, track control, engine modes, etc. etc. And in the most, even on the most aggressive mode, it's still, I would say it's incredibly sporty for sure, but it doesn't have any snatchiness to it. So it is a very, very smooth actuating throttle. The one thing I will say about it is just on that initial crack, because it's kind of so soft, I guess the best words you'd use would be unintimidating, can seem just a hair vague if you're really pushing in the canyons um the solution to that is use more throttle <laughs> so okay, <yeah. laughs> and then you just get
0: around there again that that just addresses the whole street aspect of it makes it a little more user friendly i mean at the end of the day we i think we'd rather most riders would rather have them be a little on the conservative side because once you get used to the bike it's always easy to dial in slightly more aggressive you know throttle usage by the rider Whereas, if a throttle is too aggressive, it's very difficult to, to manipulate that as a rider. Yeah, It's much easier to tell yourself to turn the throttle a bit more than it is to be as be smoother on the throttle.
1: Yeah, and and that's actually an important point too. We can think of plenty of bikes, especially in the early 2000s, um, you know, with uh, sort of the beginnings of ride ride modes and things like that where, things were just simply too aggressive. And if you're talking about Japanese supersports, sports, um, especially I, I'm reminded of the original uh, 2015 Yamaha YZFR1, some of the, those more aggressive riding modes were incredibly snatchy on the street. They're still snatchy on the racetrack, but the difference is you're using more throttle on the racetrack. And typically you can get out of that simply by just well opening the opening the throttle bodies up a whole lot more. yeah, and on the street, you're doing a lot of you know fine motor control adjusting. You're not really just slamming to the, the throttle stop all the, all the time. so that's that's definitely a good thing. The other thing that uh, I definitely noticed right out of the gate, again, it's an inline four motor, and they've done a whole lot of uh, weight savings between this bike and the previous generation. But on the double R, I noticed a lot of vibration coming through the clip-on handlebar on this bike. Not so much, even at, at at high RPM. You get maybe a little bit of buzz, but it doesn't really come through in the same way that it did on the fully fared bike. And I would chalk that up to one, a different riding position; two, you have a straight uh, kind of motocross style handlebar. It's actually extremely flat, uh, still a very comfortable riding position, but because of that that different uh, uh, hand control setup, you know, it probably masks a lot of the vibration that I felt on the, the RR. Um, and to a certain degree, maybe the XR as well, but again, not as bad as the, the RR. And the other thing, of course, they had with the XR was back in its infancy,
0: it had this bizarre sort of vibration at about 4,000 RPM. Yeah. And it, it actually took them several years to get rid of that.
1: I remember that.
0: Yeah, it definitely, it, it did because 4,000 RPM translated to whatever it was, you know, about 75 miles an hour or something on the freeway. Yeah. It was exactly at the wrong point in the rev range. But they sort of played around and they managed to shift it. I think the first year they shifted it up to like 5,000 RPM or something. But
1: Yeah, I remember on the most recent XR, the one from a year ago or, or two or whatever, that it wasn't anywhere near as buzzy as the double R or, or that bike. The bike doesn't feel on at 4,500 RPM. I'm not joking, like you put it at 45, 4,500 RPM. And I think it goes about like 55 or 60 miles an hour. And if you hold it exactly the, the bike genuinely, I'm like, it has the same amount of vibration as like an electric motor. Wow. And then no, that's impressive. But that's that like a static RPM. If you do yeah. anything above it, you feel something, but there's a couple little, areas on that on that engine where it just resonates and you're like okay like i genuinely don't feel much like this is right like it it feels um you remember riding the h2 sure and that thing would just be sort of uncomfortably smooth you know like it just whisked you off into triple digit speeds and you're like okay (laughs) i didn't feel this happening but right this is fine um so it's it's reminiscent of that. But yeah, yeah, it's it it's a it's a good bike. And I think I think overall it's like BMW intentionally geared this more as a street bike because you cool. look at the other bikes and like the Super Duke, the Speed Triple Now, the Tuono, the Street Fighter, they're all really, really gnarly bikes. Um, especially on the street. It, yeah you know the duke when we rode it on the street and the track i was like yeah they they push this more as a track bike like that's kind of my personality that's gonna turn off some some buyers you know you kind of have to be that hardcore audience to to get a lot of these bikes now whereas this one it's going to get knocked for like oh it's not as hardcore but the reality is
0: it's going to appeal to a lot more people
1: yeah and that's sort of their struggle it's like if you do something that people actually need versus the thing that they want. Right. You have to talk around that. And it, it just comes off as a negative because we're describing it and we're like, yeah, it might not be exciting that and they're like, oh, they already write it off. And I'm like, you just don't know what you need, man. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, kind of moving on to some of the other features. Again, it has the uh, gear shift assist pro, otherwise known as a quick shifter. Um, right up and down obviously yeah yeah and that's actually something that i think bmw is probably doing i would want to put this in a back-to-back comparison to the rest of the class but one of the best in the kind of hyper naked or naked sport bike class overall the shifts on this bike are incredibly smooth and it's not just the the kill times on the upshifts and the downshifts and the the uh auto blipping and rev matching and so on and so forth. It's not just that that's really well sorted. It's the actual shifting actuation, going between gears. That's it's pretty incredible in that regard. And again, it's a little bit strange to uh, okay. get hung up on, on a gearbox. But when you're riding around town and you know, in the canyons, but it's noticeable. That is something that's really nice. It, there's no sort of uh, lurchiness when you're downshifting. Um, there's no long delays on the upshift. And it's just, I don't know, pretty seamless in a lot of ways. It's it's quite impressive. Um, right. You know, again, Ducati and Aprilia and Triumph with a Speed Triple all do excellent jobs with their quick shift systems. But the gearboxes, they're all extremely, I, I would say, those three bikes in in particular stand out to me, but this is up there in that particular regard. So, yeah, yeah, they did a really good job with that.
0: All right, impressive. So the motor and gearbox are really good. Obviously, there's plenty of
1: of sort of electronics and you know riding modes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, you summed up the engine pretty well. Like like I said, good inline four engine. It's not probably not going to blow your hair back in the same way that the v4s will and you know that sort of thing but at the same time it's also a lot more user-friendly so right a a lot of our criticisms in that regard you know someone might pick up and say oh well it's not that good of an engine no 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 it's actually a great engine and quite user-friendly it just doesn't take that extra step and light your hair on fire uh, performance which You know, whether you like that or not, that's up to you. You know, you can season your meals the way you want, buddy. So, you know, it's all personal preference. How does it compare in price to some of these other hyper nakeds? So our our bike, fully kitted, and I'll just run down the list real quick. MSRP with a a bare bones S1000R is going to be $14,545. Then you have a destination charge of $400. $95. Ninety-five dollars. So you're looking at about uh, you know fifteen grandish. Right. Um, our bike has the M package, the Sport package, the Select package, and the Premium package. That brings it up to twenty thousand seven hundred sixty-five dollars. That is actually, you know, it it's cheaper than the Ducati Street Fighter by a significant margin. Right. It's right right on on the money with the Aprilia 210 uh, V4 factory. Um, the Super Duke is also in that price range when it's kitted out with all of its respective options. I think okay. it comes in just a little bit below. So it's not the most expensive bike in the lot, and it's not the cheapest. But it
0: says right in the bullpark. Okay,
1: fine. Yeah, and it, it actually is on the, the more affordable end. Okay. The speed triple is, I think, just a little bit below it as well in that 1819 range. Again, you're dealing with an upper echelon, you know, category of motorcycles. So we're in that ballpark.
0: Premium brand, premium product. Yeah, fully understood.
1: Okay. All right.
0: That's good. Yeah. Okay. So uh chassis and handling, what was what was that like? I really liked I liked the balance of, of the previous one. It was really intuitive to use. Very easy to ride. And again, I felt that on the XR actually, same thing.
1: Yeah. And this is this is one of the aspects that I was kind of the most excited about um, given the fact that our bike with all of its bells and whistles comes in 26 pounds lighter than the previous version again you do have to account for the wow um, the fact that we're running the forged wheels and we have some of the little lighter bells and whistles with the M package um, but 26 pounds is pretty massive. Uh, there's really no. Yeah, other that's way. that is a significant weight savings. That's that's big. Yes, and you know the the handling on this bike kind of speaks to its whole personality and why I think BMW is really trying to position this as just an incredibly exciting street bike. If you want to go to the racetrack on it, you can. You'd be comfortable all day. Might not be as focused as some of the other competitors, but hey. If you're really focused on racetrack riding, then they have another bike that has an extra R. So there you go. But this one, <laughs> right? Um, you know, just because of its handling both at, at high and low speed, and that's an important thing too, at low speed, you already used the adjective I was going to use, intuitive. The way this bike handles and steers, it's just incredibly easy to ride. I think riders that are coming up from middleweights, so intermediate riders, coming into the you know their advanced stages of their riding career advanced riders they're all going to appreciate the fact that this thing just steers beautifully this thing just handles incredibly well and i would put a lot of that down to its weight it has a claimed curb weight of 428 pounds you're still dealing still dealing with an ample amount of fuel so 4.4 4, 4. 4 gallons of fuel that's light that's that's awesome It's on the lighter end of the spectrum for sure. Um, But again, the way this thing handles, it's just cruising around town is a bit of a breeze. You know, if I think about things like the Tuono, definitely there's some heavier steering there. Uh, I think it might have a higher uh, threshold in terms of handling when you're really pushing the envelope. But truth be told, you can't do that on the street to any reasonable level. So the way that the BMW handles the way it stays planted, the amount of mechanical grip that you get when you're on the brakes into the corner and then releasing them, getting on the gas, it's just an incredibly pliable motorcycle. So okay. going through quick transitions, left to right, right to left, whatever steering on the gas, you know, it's just a bike that wants to handle and it wants to handle well in a lot of different scenarios. And Again, I think that speaks to it's. I would say greater versatility in a lot of ways, For sure. and that's that's something that that I definitely appreciated about it. Now, moving on to its its suspension, it it does come with the uh, DDC electronic suspension that is by Marzocchi. Um, so BMW is stepping outside of the box and going with a. I would say less traditional electronic suspension option uh, for the class usually we're we're pretty much resigned to talk about the olin's uh smart ec 2.0 system but um in this case this is one category that i will give it a knock um the suspension overall is more than competent it's quite good in many ways you have two uh two modes to choose from you have a a road mode and then you also have a dynamic uh, setting mode and that changes the the damping rates uh you know based on the descriptions i just said so road is a little bit softer and then dynamic is meant for sportier riding or racetrack riding in the road mode it really does soften up the s1000r and basically detunes it into a High-powered commuter bike. It gobbles up everything that you could ever want, you know. Hits everything, uh, potholes, whatever, big bumps, and takes it in stride, and keeps everything pretty, pretty in shape too. You know, the road mode isn't the mode I would choose for sportier riding, and it's not necessarily designed for that. At least I don't believe it is, and that that's a okay. And then if you want to wick it up in the canyons, definitely go into the dynamic mode that just cranks the uh the you know the damping up a bit keeps the bike nice and settled especially you on the brakes or on the gas and really just gobbles up all those hits on the road and doesn't translate much into the rider you know in terms of discomfort
0: i found the same thing on the xr it was um the bike did not to my just to my particular riding style it did not handle that well in road mode it was just too soft um and i was probably trying to ride it too hard for for that particular setting like you said it was comfortable but i didn't have the real front-end confidence in road mode but as soon as i put it into dynamic and we have to explain here dynamic does not mean electronically controlled does it it's not electronically constantly adjusting it's just it's for dynamic riding in other words
1: in other words it's like a sport mode is that correct as far as i know it's still adjusting damping uh on the fly as it would with the road mode uh it's just doing it at a much higher degree as in that the the damping rates are cranked up and then it's also using a narrower window which really improves the feel of the motorcycle overall when we're talking about electronic damping systems it made it made a major difference on the xr yeah yeah for sure
0: the xr went went from being a bike that i wasn't terribly fond of to a bike that i absolutely loved just by making that one simple change
1: yeah and i will say you know changing the setting is pretty easy to do um oh yeah <laughs> you know bmw of all of their quirks with their hand controls and people will love or hate the wonder wheel that is on pretty much every BMW at this point. Changing the suspension modes has always been relegated down to just a single touch of the button on the left-hand side. Um, You can also change for preload uh, on the shock. Okay. But that's the only amount of adjustment you get. And that kind of irks me in the sense that when we think about the Olin system, um or the showa system for that matter that's on uh some kawasakis um you know the level of adjustment that you get with those motorcycles is exponentially greater than this i mean i can dive in on any of the the electronically uh, damped hypernakeds change my settings as i see fit and truly customize the bike for me now the BMW with all of its technical sophistication, its price point, and the fact that, well, when I think about a brand like BMW, I associate them with uh, technical prowess. The fact that I'm only getting two suspension modes and I can't change anything beyond that is a little bit irksome for this class, as I mentioned before. Because if I do go to the racetrack, I would want to dive into those settings further. And make that bike, you know, the pointed machine that I know the chassis can be. And absolutely, I am sort of speaking outside what my uh, current experience of reviewing this bike is because I have not ridden it at the racetrack. But generally speaking, I know I'm going to have to change a couple things, just as most riders will usually have to do. Right. And I just don't have that option, which is a bit of a bummer. Okay. So, in that sense, on the street. The, the suspension worked incredibly well. There are some things that I'd like to change and just not having that option is, is a bit of a letdown considering that all of its competitors have that ability. So, you know, that, that's where we're at with that one.
0: But having said that, the dynamic mode was pretty good. I mean, I don't, want, I don't want to leave listeners with the idea that you didn't like the suspension. Of those two riding modes, they were very capable. Is that what you were saying?
1: Yeah, yeah. They're they're gonna work. They're gonna be good ballpark areas. It's just the lack of adjustment might not work for everyone. Luckily, I'm in the range where those settings work as intended. The road mode is great for casual riding and the dynamic mode is great for sporty riding on the street. Okay. Um, but I'm not everyone. So, sure. you know, that that's kind of where we're at with that.
0: Okay. What about sort of you know, comfort and you know, accoutrement, as you say. What what was the rest of the package like? I mean, overall it was, I assume the build quality was exceptional.
1: Build quality is quite high. Uh, Again, for BMWs of this class, of the price point, that's something that we've kind of come to expect. Um, If you just take a look at the bike overall, the fit and finish is really nice. and, and looking at some of the other options that you get with it again we have the sport package which comes with as we mentioned the electronically uh, adjustable damping suspension Ride modes pro which gives you the ability to change your respective settings it also comes with dynamic engine brake control the gear shift assist pro which is their quick shifter up, up and down and then the engine spoiler um but Those are the the functional changes and having the ability as much as I I don't like having to pay for the privilege to adjust my electronics. That's something that I would invest in simply because you can tailor it for more aggressive riding, which I think depending on your skill level or needs safer at the racetrack, you you might want to do. But when we're talking about fit and finish and other little bells and whistles, things like the select package. So we have a keyless ignition, There's also cruise control heated grips that are quite warm. So that's pretty awesome. Got a little USB charging socket. So if you want to connect your phone to the TFT display, use the navigation tools. Uh, You can do that and not drain your battery. And then there's also the adaptive headlight and, um, and the TPM uh, or tire pressure monitoring. So basically if you're start losing tire pressure you immediately get notified and headlight pro but overall you look at the bike it's sort of well put together every bolt is in the right place it has just beautiful finishes throughout you also get the cool little Akropovich uh slip on pipe i think you know my personal opinion here 98 percent of this bike looks absolutely awesome if you were to just Kind of put your hand over that headlight unit. <laughs> the bike looks just well. There's no other put to put it. Looks sick. I mean, it looks like a double R, which I love the current gen double R aesthetics. But I would say the one sort of not so interesting bit is the headlight. It okay. It's not unattractive, so we're not talking about uh, a lot of the Japanese bikes that get you know slagged off due to their, their bug eyeness. <laughs> It just it seems right. a little bland to me. And I'm like, BMW, you guys are you guys are known for doing the the wonky-eyed double R. What happened? Like it or not, it was unique. Well, in, in the same way that, like it or not, the KTM super styling is unique. You can't not say that. <laughs> so I have to say I'm I'm
0: I'm happy that they finally lost the whole Forest Whitaker look. I mean, that to me just never quite cut it for me, but uh but I understand why they did it, and it definitely made the bike stand out. But, uh, but yeah, it sounds as though the S1000R is, is a, a, a really a major upgrade over the last one. Oh, absolutely. But as I say, I rode a couple of years ago, and, and that was a great bike. Yeah. So I was very encouraged. I just wanted to just clarify one thing that you talked about a minute ago. When you talked about paying the extra for the electronics, where you could unlock a sort of a race mode, that does not... Give you anything else in the suspension
1: no and that's that's something that we actually we should dive into for a second so and i I had to clarify this with uh bmw technicians thinking back to the the s double r or s 1000 double r review we did that is the only bike in the sporting range that offers race modes pro that allows you to dive into the suspension Change your damping as you would on the Olin systems that we referenced in the podcast, that's available on Ducati and Yamaha and uh, pretty much everything else. Right. Um, on the single R, they're taking less intensive approach, we'll say, with their electronic systems. You're still able to adjust your throttle maps, uh, riding modes, uh, engine braking modes, uh, lean angle detecting traction control, cornering ABS, so on and so forth. If you go, go for the Ride Modes Pro option, which is part of the sport package. You can buy it individually okay. or you can buy the sport package for $1,350, which comes with the electronic suspension, MSR, up-down quick shifter, engine spoiler, and the modes. Okay. In standard trim, you just have your, your normal preset riding modes. Okay. I believe that's uh, Road, Rain, and Sport. But beyond that, you can't dive into the finer minutiae. And it does not affect the electronic suspension in terms of adjustability. So those, those are separate things. All right, well, sounds good. But overall, it sounds as though you did really like the bike. I
0: mean, uh, you, were, you were impressed?
1: Yeah, yeah. And actually, wait, one quick correction. Of the standard riding modes, you have rain, road, and dynamic. Uh, dynamic is the, the sportiest of the bunch. Um, And then when you get the Ride Modes Pro, you unlock the Dynamic Pro modes, essentially. And that gives you the extra freedom to go ahead and adjust things. Right. It's one of those things where BMW has this sort of uh, obsession with the word dynamic. You'll, You'll find it many times throughout the bike, whether you're talking about the riding mode, specifically the riding modes that are optional or the Dynamic Electronic Suspension. Uh, (laughs) anyway they love it um so overall i think this bike delivers a lot and it delivers a lot of versatility that some of these more focused hyper naked bikes might be forgetting on the street you know uh, of of the the attributes of this bike that really stand out to me it's going to be its handling just feels incredibly lightweight easy to ride easy to steer easy to put it in the direction that you want to go and i think riders from a lot of different skill levels are going to appreciate that for sure. beyond that you have other user-friendly bits like the engine it's very approachable still got all the performance you could ever ask for on the street and ostensibly on the racetrack too because let's be honest anything north of uh you know 160 horsepower is nothing to sneeze at right and you still got 84 foot pounds torque So those are some really nice uh, attributes about this bike. And then the riding position too. Um, Initially felt a little bit aggressive because that handlebar is quite flat, but it works. Uh, The bike isn't excessively wide. It's actually, I would say on the narrower side, uh, sporty riding position. It almost seems like you're going to be putting a lot of weight on your wrists, and it just never seems to happen. You just stay comfortable the entire (laughs) time. Right. So it's not as aggressive as some of these other bikes. And again, that's sort of the theme that I've been talking about with this bike is they didn't really dive into the deep end with going as hard as, say, the the Ducati Street Fighter V4. They're, they're really recognizing what this bike is supposed to do, which is be an awesome street bike. And I think they've achieved that goal. Okay, good. All right. And still, go to the racetrack, man. Have, have a blast.
2: Okay. So All right.
1: Sounds great. Thank you, um, as always, for your
0: insight. Really appreciate it. Sounds good. Are you ready for the revolutionary new 2022 Suzuki Hayabusa motorcycle? Hailed as the ultimate sport bike, the third generation Hayabusa melds two generations of refinement, resulting in the quickest, most technologically advanced and aerodynamic Hayabusa ever. Its Suzuki intelligent ride system 1,340cc inline 4-cylinder engine and updated driveline deliver unmatched performance. Plus, it comes in three new head-turning color combinations and offers a full suite of available Suzuki Genuine Accessories that you can choose from. The ultimate ride awaits, so head into your local Suzuki dealer now or visit suzukicycles.com to learn more. Now we continue with the second and last part of my friend George Puckaber's fascinating story of his self-guided ride to the bottom of the world. This was a year-long trip to the lowest part of South America, the town of Ushuaia, Argentina. Next stop, Antarctica, if you're so inclined. We continue the story, having heard George leave Southern California on his BMW GS 1200, headed down through Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Panama, through the Darien Gap, and into Colombia. We now pick up the story again as he reaches Ecuador.
3: So Ecuador, Quito, the thing about Quito was, finally we got some choices in our food. There were restaurants there and we were like, oh, Lebanese, let's go, you know, it's something other than meat and rice. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but Quito uh, was fun, they got their bikes serviced, and then we just kept pressing on to Peru. Okay. And Peru was the most adventurous country of the bunch. That's when you go, okay, this is adventure riding. Okay. And um, that's when I realized, oh, this is what I signed up. This is what I thought the whole thing was going to be. But uh, it's high elevation. Okay. Um, so it's hard to breathe. Right. It's, dirt roads that are single lane with no, no kind of barrier. You know, you go off the road, it's 6,000 feet down to the river. Um, Whoa. They're two lane roads. You meet buses. <laughs> it's wet. It's cold. The roads are washed out. Um, wow. It's all indigenous. You're, you're not on the main roads. You're up in the Andes, so it's all indigenous communities and they're really skeptical of you, and not super friendly on the surface. Okay. You know they're they're very closed. Okay. Um, you can still find places to stay and food to eat, but the places are cold. It's freezing cold up there. Um, right. Just
0: because of the elevation.
3: Because of the elevation, you're right. buying gas out of oil jugs. You know, with a filter. They're filtering it while they're pouring it in your tank. Um, wow. There's no ATMs, (laughs) you know, it's like, this is crazy. Wow. Uh, But then as you- And what
0: are the roads like? Are the roads like, I mean, they're not tarmac.
3: They're single lane dirt roads that are washed out everywhere. And you get to places where there are guys fixing the road and there's like buses waiting to go because they can't get through. And the guys are like, come on. And you're like, well, I can't. (laughs) and and they literally push you through the mud pits you know all the workers get behind you and push you through one of the germans burned up his clutch trying to get across wow Um, we had to go to lima and he could order a clutch and have it shipped in um and uh lima is a three-hour traffic jam to get into the city (laughs) and it is it's full on. I mean, the fact that you're on a bicycle, on a motorcycle, they don't care. They'll just push you. You know, they're hitting your sad- saddle bags. You're getting pushed by trucks. You're like, whoa, this is something new. <laughs> um, and it's three hours to get in. But once you get in, there was a neighborhood we stayed in that was like Santa Monica. You know, it was on the Pacific. <laughs> right. They had fancy restaurants and a nice mall where I bought my second tent. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, good fish. And we had a nice little recharge in Lima and then got out of there and spent Christmas at some big sand oasis, giant sand dunes, and right in the middle was a little, a little pond with palm trees and some hotels around and we stayed in a tent camp and uh, rented big, you know, redneck sand buggies and went (laughs) sliding on sand boards uh, in the mountains of sand.
0: Just had fun. Wow, that sounds cool. Yeah,
3: it was a surprising cool place. And from there you go to the Nazca Lines, you know, the, the great Nazca Lines. You can't really see them from a motorcycle. Right. So my buddies chartered a plane. They have plane rides, but they also have a lot of plane crashes. And <laughs> I don't like to fly, and I'm claustrophobic, and I'm right. like, I'm going to wash my bike. <laughs> 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 you guys have fun. I'm going to wash the What bike. are the
0: Nazca lines? I've never heard of them.
3: Oh, there are these giant uh, figurines drawn in the desert that you can only see from space.
0: And oh. they are
3: large animals and... You know, oh, they're wow. like a big condor, and they're all these things. Oh, man. And you can only see them from space, and they're, you know, 1,500 years old or something. So people wow. say it's proof of aliens. Others right. say, you know, it's yeah. not, but, you know, they're pictures for God to look at, or all kinds of wow. theories behind the Nazca lines. But, oh, cool. Pretty famous place. Okay. There's a little tower you can crawl up, but you can't really see them. Right. The tower. You right. need to be in an airplane.
0: Yeah. And Machu Picchu is in Peru,
3: isn't it? We went to Cusco and then went to Machu Picchu. I had uh, I had very low expectations because, well, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Okay. But it's also one of the biggest tourist attractions in the world. So right. I didn't right. know what to expect. Okay. So we left Cusco. In a car that took us to a train and the train took us through this thing called uh not monument valley but like valley of the spirits and it's just beautiful you you know there's this raging river next to you these giant mountains you're in a cool train they're serving you coca tea and uh, there's a little town at the bottom of Machu picchu called agua caliente and we spent the night there and had a wonderful meal and the next morning we went up and it blew my mind
0: it was oh, really can you, you, ca- can you ride the bikes up there you or can't you
3: ride the bikes up you can either walk up or take the tour bus up and the tour oh, yeah. bus is pretty crazy you know these switchbacks and you're like Whoa, uh. <laughs> um, but you get up there it's foggy and it's just one of those places you can feel the magic. I don't really? know how else to describe it. You know you know where you go to a place and it just kind of touches your soul? Yeah. It was like that. It was wow. like, wow, this place is amazing. Wow. Um,
0: how I've how never memorable. Been,
3: I've never been anywhere like it. It was just, really? it was stunning. Absolutely stunning. Wow. Then we came down. And had more coca tea, and got on the train, and went home. <laughs> and we spent New Year's in Cusco, which is a cool place. Right. I got my uh,
0: like lots of nightlife and music, and
3: they just had a huge party in the square, and they shot fireworks, and everybody's drinking and partying <laughs> and happy, and it was it was good.
2: Oh, great. Uh, and
3: then New Year's Day, we met a lot of other travelers we'd been following but hadn't actually hooked up with. And we yeah. had uh, cooey, which is uh guinea pig. <laughs> I don't recommend eating cooey, but, you know, we had to do it because we were there and uh, it was t- not good. <laughs> cooey is not.
0: Not I'm good, not, as in it's chewy or it's gamey or it's.
3: It's got a head on it, looking at you. Oh! It's the whole thing—the claws, the tail. Oh! Yeah, it's an animal sliced open, a pet in the U.S.
2: Oh! That's been
3: barbecued. Here you go.
0: Oh! Yes,
3: that's the reason, Arthur. And and Um,
0: so you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know where to start.
3: Well, I you have it... a couple of bites and go, this is not for me. I'll have the Lomo Salta, which is meat and rice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Cusco was a neat pla- place. They have a, a place ca- there called the Norton Bar, which is a big motorcycle hangout. Right. So a lot of travelers gather there. Right. Um, and then we continued south. We went to Lake. Titicaca, which okay. I love saying that. That's my favorite lake <laughs> name. Um, but Lake Titicaca. That sounds got, more like
0: a North American Indian kind of place, doesn't well, it? Well,
3: it's definitely an Indian place. its uh, okay. They have these floating islands built of reeds that little families live on out there. And uh, they fish and now they cater to the tourists, weave things and sell things. And uh, that was pretty cool to go out there. Wow. And then we crossed into Bolivia. Okay. And Bolivia, you have to have a visa in advance. You have to have a yellow fever vaccine. I had gotten all that. Um, okay. Vaccine-wise, I tried to get it in L.A., and the doctor wanted 450 bucks for the. Whoa. And I was like, well, I'll get it in Mexico, and then that didn't happen, and then Guatemala. And eventually, I, I got to Quito, Ecuador, and needed the vaccine they're like oh yeah go to the hospital so i took an uber to the hospital (laughs) i go in and there's a big sign that says vaccines i go in and i put it in my google translate i need yellow fever vaccine they're like oh sure they give it to me and then okay bye i said where do i pay they're like what where do i pay for the vaccine they're like you don't pay for medicine. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. Well, that's good. <laughs> so, so yeah, we got to Bolivia. I gave him proof of my vaccine, um, and Bolivia's pretty hardcore place too. Oh, know? really? It, it's a lot like parts of Peru. You know, rural Peru. There's not a lot of money there. Um,
0: very agriculture economy. Very
3: agriculture. Right. Uh, then there are the giant salt flats, the uni, the Salar, they call it, where you've all seen the pictures of the mirror finishes and the great photo opportunities. Sure. We sure. got there. The Salar was underwater. <laughs> we're like, well, what do we do? And luckily, because of ADV Rider and following other travelers, there were travelers two weeks ahead of us who said, screw it. We're going to ride in the salt. And they'd been having bike problems ever since. You know, they washed the bikes carefully, but now all of them had electrical issues with their motorcycles. Oh. So we were like, better not do that. So we rented a a tour car to take us out, and there's a thing called the Lagunas Route, which is about a three-day trip, and it goes up to see the uh, pink flamingos and... You know, all the geysers and stuff like that. Um, right. You stay in salt hotels that are built out of blocks of salt. Right. And it's freezing cold and the food's terrible. And,
0: <laughs>
3: um, the sand is very deep. and um, But it was cool. We did it, but we did it in a Land Cruiser instead of on our motorcycle.
0: <laughs> right. Um, isn't Bolivia where Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid ended up, isn't yes. it?
3: Yes, and we went right by the, where they ended up was 60 kilometers off our route, which wasn't very far.
0: Okay, I was so you're like, let's go see it.
3: I was traveling with the Germans, I was like, let's go see it. And they were like, who's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance, they had no idea who they were. <laughs> you're like, do you know Robert up. Redford and Paul Newman? I was Newman? like, come on, you know. and they were like, eh, no, we're not going there. So I got, I got vetoed on going to their, uh. To their little shootout place. Their shootout place, yeah. But we were very close to it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, well. You don't win them all. You don't win them all. You gotta pick your battles. No. All right. So the riding in Bolivia was pretty good, or was that still real hardcore? I I take it these are straight, arrow straight, fire road type. They're
3: not arrow straight, but um, it wasn't exciting like northern Peru it wasn't hardcore mountains it was just making time okay at this point it's a lot of desert um
0: And, uh, and and you're you're sort of able to maintain the bike here I mean you what about things like if you're doing this kind of mileage you must have gone through multiple sets of tires and
3: I went through 10 sets of tires um okay Oil changes it. every three thousand miles. And you know what? I serviced my bike at BMW's the whole BMW dealers the whole way down. Really? So you can find them. I mean
0: in major cities and
3: Yeah. Mexico was my first Guadalajara was my first service. Cali, Colombia, um Ecuador, wow. Lima, uh
0: so you just find a BMW Chile. dealer there and you're just Yeah, you go to the BMW like, dealer. Give it a full service, change out the tires and
3: Yeah. And they're like, what, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm going to Ushuaia." Yeah. And you know, you're a novelty, so they're excited to help you except That's for awesome. one guy, which we're getting to that part. Okay.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, so, so for Bolivia, so we,
3: the... Bolivia was fantastic. We spent a week at this town, Uni where the Salars is and the Salt Flats and the Dakar Rally had been there and, you right. know, it was all of that cool stuff. Um, and then we went south and crossed into Argentina and then it got cool again, you know, more mountainous okay, dirt roads through kind of like we saw in Anza Borrego, the big rocks and stuff, but you're going through them on the bike and, uh, Great campsite there called Utopia in northern Argentina, a little town called Salta. Um, nice. They had set up an overlanders campsite, so there were some campers and rigs and then motorcycle guys, and we hung there for a couple days. Argentina
0: is going to be pretty nice. It's going to be quite civilized, isn't it? I would think. It
3: is. Argentina and Chile are both quite civilized. Okay. Um, Argentina's got a little more indigenous kind of feel to it in their dress and gauchos and ranches and stuff. Chile really feels very Western.
0: Oh really? As
3: in very Americanized Western. Um, But once you're there, you know, the Andes run right down there, basically the border between the two countries and we just crisscross back and forth, back and forth the whole way down. And you find guys who are sitting up there in their little, you know, immigration booth, three dudes with a ledger (laughs) who haven't seen anyone for a couple of days. And they're like, hey, hey, come on in. (laughs) And they do everything by hand and write everything out. But then they take cell phone pictures of your passports. And when they go home, they can upload them into their system somewhere.
0: Oh, okay. So there is actually quite a bit of control.
3: Yeah, yeah, there is control. Um, And depending on the border crossing, Chile and Argentina have kind of an adversarial relationship a lot of the times. okay. And depending on the border border crossing, it can be tense or, hey, come on in, or what have you been doing? What do you got?
0: Right, Um, right.
3: I had been having bike trouble starting in Mexico. Oh, with my what? bike not starting and at first i thought it was the key fob because of all the rain and i, oh, take... I hate those
0: key fobs it's i like... do too it's that seems to be like the answer to a question nobody ever had we yeah
3: it's awful but i had tried everything between drying the key fob putting new batteries keeping it in a plastic bag but still the bike wouldn't start some of the times I'd take it to the dealer it works fine all right you of know, course never <laughs> every dealer so finally i got down to chile and it would not start oh. we were in we had just crossed in the chile went to an atm to get chilean pesos bike wouldn't start and it's getting dark oh shit! and luckily we were in the town we had reservations where we were going to stay it was a few blocks away but the bike's dead so we had to push the bike would,
0: would it turn over
3: no just nothing you just know? Nothing. nothing just dead just and dead. there's
0: no override system on it
3: yeah you take your key and you put it in the fender well that didn't work nothing worked nothing worked
0: okay wow
3: um what does work is that if you put a hair dryer on the <laughs> start button and you get it really hot it would work how about that? How we figure that out, I don't know. But we didn't have a hairdryer, so wherever it... This was the first time it wouldn't actually start. So we hadn't learned about the so hairdryer it obviously,
0: yet. It's obviously susceptible to some kind of humidity or humidity and or rain or...
3: I don't know. I don't know. Did but you get a
0: lot of rain? I mean,
3: We had off and on, but at that particular time, it was perfectly dry. So,
0: right, so there's no reason for it.
3: We pushed the bike. You know 10 blocks to the place we're staying it was a hard deal
0: um <laughs> a fully laden BMW 12 holy shit! yes yes <laughs> yes let's
3: push it across town um oh man we get to our place then there's a major earthquake oh what? that wipes out the, uh, that wipes out all the power and you know damages buildings our building was fine but scared everyone major earthquake wow and we're like well mm.
0: you must have been sitting there going this is starting to get a bit surreal
3: <sighs> so the Holy next day molly. oh and i'd lost you know the day before i lost my tent you know speeding over the top <laughs> right, of the mountain. okay it was gave- tent number two yeah tent number two was lost <laughs> and i got multiple flat tires in the front multiple flats in the front from the sharp rocks So I had like six tire plugs in there and they would last, you know, 10 miles. Then you have to fill it back up. But that's where we learned the hairdryer would, if you put it on the start button after a while, it would start. So we get to the coast, we're at a big shell station, you know, shell station (laughs) with the store and all that. Um, And it dies. It just dies and we can't get it started. Oh. And we're 200 miles from Valparaiso, which is where we were going that day. And um, it's getting late. It's getting dark. I've been having trouble starting every time I stopped. Uh, And finally, it was just dead. Wow. And And it
0: definitely wasn't battery, obviously.
3: No, it wasn't the battery. We just couldn't couldn't get it started. And um, a Ducati guy showed up. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
0: you
3: know, with the full Dionysae, you know, pana, hes on a Panigale, all that. Oh, really? You're like, hey, there's a uh, the biker guy. Uh, <laughs> I'm broken down. He's like, I got this. We'd already talked to a million people. Nobody could help us. Nobody understood what we we're doing. Uh-huh. And this guy got on the phone and got me a tow truck. Okay. The tow truck showed up. I'm like, a flatbed. Flatbed. Okay. We got to go 200 miles south. He's like, no problem. He loaded it up, the Germans left ahead of us on their bike, right. and he took me to Valparaiso. Wow. We, we stopped along the way and picked people up and dropped people off, and there was a <laughs> lot of things that I didn't understand what was going on. At one point there was a prostitute, he was like, you want her? She's yours. I came, I brought you here for the girl, I'm like, no, I'm good, <laughs> keep on going but wow. we we showed up at this place um villa Kunterbunt, which is a big way station for travelers okay um, a lot of you valparaiso is like long beach and uh, a lot of people from europe ship their bikes there on containers oh okay and then when they arrive they fly over pick up the bike ride patagonia ship it home fly home
0: right um, okay so
3: that was kind of the central for all these europeans coming in
0: the hub yeah
3: the hub i took the bike to the bmw shop had the worst service advisor ever oh. who basically first thing said it's not covered under warranty And i'm like this bike's under warranty and it started the big fight and you remember the fight with bmw north america south america europe right but eventually
0: i mean what what actually was the problem
3: the problem was the ignition module had gone bad oh. and had to be replaced and it's keyed to your VIN number and it could only oh. come from the factory and go through their distribution system to the dealer. And that was going to take a month and I had offered, wow. you know, at first they wanted me to pay $4,800 for it or something and that wow. fight was, no, it's under warranty right well you're outside of north america and your warranty is only for north america and then but this is an adventure bike you sold me for global travel (laughs) so long story short they agreed to cover it i offered to fly to germany to get it so i could get on the road i i couldn't imagine sitting for a month right in this hostel well I sat for a month. A month
0: later. A month
3: later, I'm like, oh, wow, that was quick, (laughs) you know?
0: So what did you do for a month?
3: Well, every afternoon I'd walk to the bakery, buy bread, then I'd walk to the butcher, buy meat, then the cheese shop, buy cheese, and then the beer store, get a beer, and then I'd walk back and cook dinner.
0: Did, did you make any friends? Or... I made
3: a lot of friends. Right. I rented a car for a week and drove around with this other German guy. His wife flew in to join him. We went and picked up his wife. Um, I met this guy, Arthur.
2: <laughs>
3: he was British, a young fella, and he looked like Jesus. You know, he looked like Western Jesus. <laughs> okay. In the Bible school, you know the, you right. know the guy. Right. His name was Storm. but he his personality was not storm it was more like gentle rain mist he was a very quiet drizzle he yeah he was a very quiet (laughs) young guy very very quiet soft-spoken and i'm hanging out with him for a week you know and he's waiting on it he was british he was waiting on his bike to arrive and he's flying home and he he'd been over there for a year He was going to fly home and become like a postmaster or something or shopkeep something really (laughs) not like adventure traveler at all right but he was a very gentle young man and his bike shows up in pieces like you know (laughs) one day a box comes with the wheels and the fenders in it and the next day you know the motor and part of the frame and it was like an old drz 650 i'm like dude You can buy one of those for a 1000 bucks when you get home. He's he's like, this has sentimental value. I'm like, you can fake it. You know, make it. (laughs) Take the fenders and wire. It's not worth shipping it home. He's like, it's got sentimental value. So I never, he didn't talk a lot, but he was super nice. He gave me a tent, which I replaced, but it was sweet of him to give me his tent and sleeping bag and all. And we hung out for a week talking. And then he leaves and my hostess, Martina, she was like, that bastard. I'm like, what? He goes, that's the guy. Storm. (laughs) And I'm like, what guy? He goes, he was missing for four months. There was an international hunt with Interpol and Scotland Yard. And it was all over the news. And he just showed up and won't tell anyone where he's been. I was like, you're just telling me now after he flew away, I've been sitting here with this guy for a week. I could have wow. used that.
0: I wonder so what he was wanted
3: for. The story was, you know, he was over there traveling and he called his mom every week, reports in like everybody right. does. Right. And then he just quit calling. And mom, being mom, she went down the Scotland Yard and said, My son's missing in <laughs> South America. And they went, Oh my gosh. And they called Interpol. Interpol called all of the South Oh, American So he hadn't done
0: anything wrong other he just than just
3: disappeared.
0: Not, not just calling his mom.
3: He didn't call his mom and she created an international search for him. And oh. everyone in South America, he was all over the news. They were looking for him everywhere. I had not paid attention he'd been on the boards you know have you seen this guy right. I hadn't really paid attention to any of that <laughs> This guy had been missing for 4 months and then showed up with no explanation wouldn't tell anyone where he's been And oh, Mart- then
0: he had a DRZ that had sentimental value
3: Yeah it was in pieces um, <laughs> and Martina had led the Chilean effort grassroots effort to find him so she was been out of shape that she'd been working to find this guy and he showed up and had no excuse. Wow. So, where was he?
1: How crazy. Right?
3: Was he in the Amazon with the Amazonian women? Was he in an opium den? And yeah. Who knows? But wow. And he was wonder, not the kind of personality you would think that would be up to like laying up with drugs yeah. or whatever. He right. was. A, Sweet boy.
0: <laughs> that's crazy. He's one of the people. And now he's like the postmaster of.
3: Now, <laughs> now he's delivering mail in Manchester.
0: <laughs> or something. Newcastle
3: upon <laughs> <Yeah>, Tyne. Right. <laughs> wow. John ah, O'Groats. That's... Wow, that's crazy crazy right storm storm okay. and a name like storm and he was a gentle mist he was just, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he was not a storm guy um but sweetheart of a guy i wish i would have known his backstory because i would have loved dude, to have dude what have you been doing yeah
2: <laughs>
0: just listen to him yeah yeah although if he was that quiet he probably wasn't much of a storyteller yeah it right. was probably yeah. like
3: he had some secrets that he was not sharing
0: he was right
3: um interesting that was interesting right
0: yeah did you ever get did you ever get concerned about people that you might meet or you know if you're out sort of at these crazy street parties you know late at night you worried that you might get mugged or I mean, you're quite a target, you know, I, the sort of the rich westerner I on a $20,000 motorcycle.
3: I never found that, um, probably for a couple of reasons. Um, most people you meet are fairly nice. Right. You know, they, they're they nice and curious, and they invite you into their homes, and they feed you, and right. they want to know your story. Um, right. I... Uh, uh, I don't really think I ever felt threatened.
0: I'm not even thinking really threatened. I'm thinking more just sort of like pickpockets and yes, you know that well, kind of stuff.
3: Yes, you definitely have to be savvy. I had, I had a throwaway wallet in my tank bag, had huh. an expired driver's license, all my expired credit cards, and maybe fifteen, twenty bucks.
0: Oh, really? That's small. Of various
3: currency, and if I was ever going to get robbed. That was my wallet, right? Um, and my other stuff was hidden. You know? Very small. So I okay. had a throwaway wallet <clears throat> that I never used it, never. Right. You know, was never. I take
0: enough. it you weren't armed. I take it you didn't take a handgun. You around. know,
3: you, that's totally a no-no. Right. There was a road around a lake in Guatemala that was famous for robbing people, and it was like if you take this road don't stop people are going to run out and try and stop you and you'll get robbed at gunpoint and right i was like okay well i won't go there Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know those that colombian road block they saved our bacon but we didn't know right um right ignorance is bliss i guess it is yeah the most threatened i felt was in peru in the high andes and it was not because of you know the boogeyman it was like i'm over my head and i could fall off this mountain and right. you know slide in the mud and then take a six thousand foot drop. Wow! Um,
0: wow! Yeah. Is there like a, I mean, is the riding sort of expert level riding for this kind of stuff?
3: It can be. We chose it. You know, we chose the expert stuff when we could find it. Okay. Uh, so we put ourselves in that situation. You could take the Pan American Highway. But that's like taking the five to Oregon. Who wants to do that? You want <laughs> right. to ride the one or whatever.
0: Right, for sure.
3: You know, the 58 or... Yeah, um, yeah.
0: you want to take the back streets.
3: You want to take the back roads. Yeah, um, yeah,
0: interesting. Okay.
3: So I was stuck in Chile for a month waiting. Uh, my friends, both the Canadian and the Germans, continued. Um, right. There was a motorcycle campground down in Pukan, a couple of days' ride, and they waited there for me. I met the Canadian there. He was still there when I arrived, so then we hooked back up.
0: So he'd been there for a month? Well, well he'd been off doing He'd other been things. off, you know, they'd right. all
3: been traveling. The Germans hung with me for a week, and then they were like, we got to go. Right. I'm like, yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. Um. But yeah. I hooked up with the Canadian in Pukon at Moto Camp, okay. which is a great motorcycle campground. Oh, really? So it's just, it's fantastic. And I think I might have told you I, I was at a gas station getting gas, and these locals showed up, and they were going to Moto Camp, and we found out we're going to the same place, and they're like, "Hey, follow me," and they took off, and they were on the gas trying. <laughs> they were definitely trying to dust me, so I hooked up and got on the leader's rear tire. And I was like, I'm just going to stay here. And uh, and we got into traffic, like lane splitting, crazy oh wow. holiday traffic around this lake. And we were going really, really fast. And um, I had my son on playing music just on random shuffle. Right. And I remember at a certain point abba came on (laughs) dancing queen and i was like i really don't want that to be the last thing i hear before i pancake into (laughs) you know a parked car but uh but i couldn't take my hands off the the steering the handlebars to change the music i was just like please abba don't don't let this be the last thing i heard (laughs) Uh, but it all worked out I finally ducked into traffic and I happened to duck right in front of a cop and he just lit up his lights. Oh. And he pointed to the side of the road and I pulled over and then he came over and just pointed down, you know, on the dirt side, the median. Oh. He was like, "Go that way. Don't lane split." like we do on the incoming traffic. He was like, go that way. And I'm like, oh, so go
0: down the hard shoulder.
3: Yeah, go down the shoulder. I was like, okay, thank you. And I took off after the shoulder on the shoulder.
0: And you're not worried that people are going to pull onto the hard shoulder because something happens. And
3: I was worried about everything. (laughs) 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 I was worried about the shoulder disappearing, you know, a turtle, (laughs) (laughs) alligator, you know. uh, Oh, my God, the whole thing. So, so, yeah. So as you work your way down, then you get to a place called Osorno, and that's the really, that's the beginning of Patagonia. And there's a big motorcycle shop there, uh, Moto America or something. They rent BMWs, service BMWs. I got the bike serviced. Right. Um, and then you get on this road called the Carretera Austral, which is beautiful. It's gravel. It's cold and wet, it's Alaska-like. but like right. you got those giant snow-capped Patagonian uh, terrain. It's just, it blows your mind, it's so beautiful. Nice. And then you get into the winds, you know, the Patagonian winds are a thing. Oh. And, you know, we, by then we were using an app called Windy, so we could check where the wind was. Right. And you know, you're riding along on a gravel road and you see a big storm, dust storm coming towards you. Holy you cent. have zero visibility. You right. slow down to like 15 miles an hour and then it hits you and everything goes black and even with the bottom of your visor shut and <laughs> you know, stuff wrapped around your neck and all, your helmet fills up with sand, you can't see anything, you stop you wait until it goes away and then you find like roads over there and you're in the field here (laughs) (laughs) holy crap
0: how long do those things last for i mean is it like gone in a few minutes like a more like a tornado kind of thing yeah
3: it comes through pretty quick you can see them coming you know it's a big sandstorm looking thing and then it blew through and but the wind's still blowing and um wow there's a stretch of road called Route of forty runs from the north of Argentina to the bottom and it's like five thousand miles long. It's probably the longest highway in the world, I would think. Right. Um, but there's a section of Route of Forty at the bottom that's famous for being dangerous and you know, breaking people's legs and whatnot because oh, wow. deep gravel, heavy winds.
0: Oh man. So
3: you start thinking about this, you know, it's the big boogeyman ahead. You gotta <laughs> right. do and it's only about 70 kilometers long or so but uh we we looked at our app and it was like blowing 40 on monday 60 on tuesday uh-huh. 50 on wednesday 10 on thursday we're like okay we're going thursday <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know so we timed it when there was no wind and it was no drama and we did route of 40 and we were like we've done a million roads like this i don't there's no boogeyman here
0: no big deal
3: no big deal
0: provided you time it right
3: provided you time it right (laughs) okay (laughs) i remember when we first started we met a car with a french couple in it and they were in like a little uh geo metro or chevy spark or something (laughs) and they're like guys you're on motorcycles be really careful it's treacherous and we're like well if you made it through in that we're gonna be fine (laughs) So then you get to the bottom and uh, Tierra del Fuego is the island at the bottom and it's split between Chile and Argentina. Um, and
0: that's the end point. That's of the, continent. the end point.
3: You're at the bottom. You have to cross the Beagle Channel and I'm you know, I'm <laughs> like, oh man, I'm thinking of all these great explorers who'd been down there you know, that I read about as, as a kid. So crossing the Beagle Channel was pretty cool. And they're penguins on the shore you know those big emperor right i think i don't know if they were emperors or whatever but they were big penguins you know the big tall ones wow so we went and watched the penguins and then crossed over made our way down and there's one last pass you have to go over to get to Ushuaia, and it was snowing the roads were icy oh and we're sliding we're literally on ice On these 700 pound bikes, Arthur, you know First gear, just tippy-toeing
0: Two miles an hour
3: Two miles an hour, and we got through And We came down, we got to Ushuaia And
0: uh, Wow, how cool
3: Ushuaia is sort of like a cruise ship terminal For people going to Antarctica So there's a main street There's fancy shops, you know Nice restaurants It's you're at the bottom of the world, and then there's a little strip of Vegas there. <laughs> um, and my boss, not my boss, my old boss, one of my mentors, has a big farm on Tierra del Fuego. Uh, and oh, he's, wow. he's old now, but we had timed it. I was hoping to get there while he was there, because his son and I are very good friends. And uh, it was his last day there when we were leaving, and so we went to his farm and had a big Asada dinner and spent the night and uh, oh, nice. that was pretty cool to see him. I hadn't seen him in many years and he's in his 80s now. And. He was like, what's with the beard? He he always busts your, <laughs> your your chops and he's like, what's with the beard? And I'm like, I'm trying to grow a Civil War general beard. And he was like, meh, meh, meh.
2: <laughs>
3: He's an old media guy, Tur- uh, Ted Turner, you know, Turner Broadcasting and CNN. And, wow. Um, but it was wild to see him at the bottom of the world.
0: Yeah, crazy where you just meet people and yeah. 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 A bunch of yeah. old ladies in Panama City, bunch of and, old ladies. and an old friend in Ushuaia.
3: Yeah, old friend, old mentor, and then, uh, and then we took the ferry north to uh, to Osorno, but, which was four days on the ferry. But it takes you through the fords and stuff, stuff we hadn't seen. So we saw killer whales and regular whales and seals and, you That's know, awesome. Uh, four days on the ferry. Right. And then I split up with the Canadian because he was, he was going to Santiago, I think, and I wanted to go to MotoGP, and MotoGP was pretty far north in Argentina. In Argentina, okay. So I had to make tracks. You know, it took me two or three weeks to get up there. Okay. But I got there. And it was a big storm. Everything's wet, wet, wet. The <laughs> campgrounds were flooded, and I had booked a campground there but I ended up staying in the town, which wasn't far. Right,
0: right, right.
3: Um,
0: so that was the way you made your way back home then via Argentina and MotoGP.
3: I went to MotoGP and then I went to Buenos Aires, which is a fantastic city. I had never been there. It was amazing, super cool. And a friend had talked me into staying. There's a very nice hotel there, the Alvar Hotel. Um, old beautiful hotel very expensive and you know i'd been living in ten dollar hostels and, whatnot, <laughs> right. and campgrounds he's like this could be your last night ever in south america so why right. not stay in the fanciest hotel and it was a good move you know the guys out front put my dirty bmw oh. covered in stickers right at the front door I go in, I don't have anything, any kind of wardrobe <laughs> for this place because it's all guys in tuxes and women in evening gowns. And, uh, <laughs> and I go to the bar and there's a guy at the bar and he's like, did you really ride that bike here from Los Angeles? And I said, yeah. Via and, Ushuaia. F- via Ushuaia. And, uh, I'm flying my bike now to Charleston, South Carolina from Buenos Aires. And he's like, wow, I'm flying to Charleston too. I'm from there. (laughs) So this guy's from my hometown. (laughs) He's sitting at a bar in Buenos Aires. What are the chances?
0: Wow. And Um, that was it. So you just shipped the bike home? You just shipped it on the plane? I shipped the bike
3: home and I was going to go to Labrador. Right. And I got up to Maine and it was too cold. So I went west and then I went up to uh, Dawson City in the Yukon of Canada, and then went to the Arctic Circle in Canada, up to the Arctic Ocean, a uh, place called Inuvik, and then I came to Dempster Highway, which is a, a big, you know, big road. So for that was adventures. a
0: separate trip, obviously.
3: Well, it was a continuation, okay. continuation of the the route. Okay. Uh, so I went up to Dempster, I came back down to Dawson and then went over to Alaska and up to Prudhoe Bay, dead horse. So
0: So, where did you have your bike shipped from, from uh, Buenos Aires?
3: Buenos Aires to Charleston, South Carolina. Then I rode up the East Coast. Oh, I see. Across the top of uh, Canada Canada, and then up into the Yukon, Northwest Territories and Alaska.
0: Holy shit. And And then then you came back.
3: Then I came down and did the Idaho BDR South and then the Colorado BDR. And then over and back to the Los Angeles, one year to the day.
0: Wow, so it took you a, it took you a year and 40,000 miles.
3: Yeah, over 40 by then. I was probably in the 50s or 60s wow so um, yeah. your brand
0: new bmw is looking pretty shagged out by it's then pretty shagged <laughs> out. Yeah,
3: yeah. it was a four-day wash and scrub <laughs> right um, up yeah and
0: full service and no more problems with the ignition module no
3: no but i also on the trip in santiago i replaced the re- i had cracked the rear rim and busted some spokes oh um, the shock in the telelever front end busted and leaked all the fluid out. So I had to replace that. Wow. All my switches were bad from dust and mud and whatever. (laughs) And so they replaced all that stuff for under warranty. And and,
0: and really said, they did everything under warranty.
3: Well, I'd caused such a big fight on the way down
0: Over when the i came
3: back up i went to another bmw dealer but they knew full well who i was uh, right. and they took care of everything and right. were super nice and super sweet and
0: you know good for bmw
3: yeah they really mm-hmm. looked out for me in the end That's i just great. had a bad service advisor the first time right and he was not cool not right. a nice guy
0: right um, and you, i mean do you think you could have shortened the month-long wait if he'd have been better
3: no but i wouldn't have had to fight over the warranty i got a lawyer i ended up getting a lawyer in chile who spoke english to represent me with that uh, that dealership wow yeah that's where oh my god yeah
0: yeah wow
3: but we haven't talked too much about the yukon in alaska and that's fantastic riding as well oh really i would go back there in a heartbeat Dawson is a crazy town in Canada. And the Dempster Highway, the Dalton Highway, there are big predators up there. You know, it's night. I, I'm. It's daytime.
0: Predators as in bears?
3: Grizzly bears.
0: Grizzly yeah. bears. Yeah.
3: I mean, you can get eaten by a bear up there. It's,
0: oh, easily. Yeah. It's
3: not out of the yeah. realm <laughs> of possibilities. <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> Wow. but it's super cool and beautiful and moose giant moose pop out in the road and look at you and start right. stomping their feet and you're like no guy <laughs> no no i'm not after I'm your not girls. a threat yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> um wow and what are the roads like are they all still adventure type roads or are yeah they... they're all gravel they're, they're
3: all gravel. gravel um you get up there uh the dumpster highway <sighs> Man, the Dempster Highway is in Canada, and uh, it's pretty amazing. And then the uh, Dalton Highway is the pipeline road, you know, from Prudhoe Bay down into Fairbanks. That's pretty amazing, too. Wow. Um, And, uh, yeah, the towns are just weird. (laughs) And and when I say weird, I mean in a good weird. They're old cowboy towns, mining towns. Dawson, they have a thing called the Sour Toe Cocktail. (laughs) So the Sour Toe Cocktail is a glass of Yukon Gold whiskey, and it's got a severed human toe in it. Now, you're not allowed to swallow the toe, but your lips have to touch it. So, And then you get a little certificate that you've had a Sour Toe Cocktail. There's a dead man's toe in your drink, and you have to touch it. I presume it's
0: the same toe every time.
3: They have 10 toes they rotate oh, they through have ten because toes they, rotate. they had one and some guy ate it and, <laughs> you know, and spalling the toe is like a $5,000 fine. But now, now people donate their toes to this bar because it's become a thing. Wow. Yeah, the Sour Toe cocktail. And there's a place in uh, Alaska called Hyder, Alaska. In Hyder, you can only get there through Canada. Right. There is a road that gets to it, but you have to come through Canada. Right. And as soon as you cross the border, there's a bar there, and it says, come get Hyderized, <laughs> and Hyderized is a shot of 151 Everclear liquor that you, you can't take pictures of it, you can't put it on social media, but when you cross the border, you're supposed to do a shot of 151. Wow. Yeah, I skipped that along with the Sour Toe Cocktail. I was like, I I don't need any of that.
2: Right. <laughs> right.
0: And the people are nice, I'm sure. They're you know. great. Yeah. They're,
3: everyone's curious about you. You know, yeah, for you, sure. when you cross the border, you think, oh, man, I'm going in the woods. But the right. reality is people have been living there for, you know, a thousand years. It's right. been settled just right. Just like here. Um, so, sure. so I was surprised by that. I, uh, it was a world class trip for me. Yeah, I had been thinking about it since the early nineties.
0: Right, so this is just a true bucket list item.
3: Yeah, it was for me. I had been studying it and reading about it and dreaming right. about it, and and the time came, so I went for it.
0: Awesome, good for you.
3: I, uh, it was surreal. I had been thinking about it and planning and thinking. And then one day I set a date. I was like, I'm leaving September 4th, 1st. And then I told my partners, I gave them like four months advance. Uh, I was like, I'm leaving in four months. Right. And then there was no looking back. The hardest part of the trip was putting my life in order that I was leaving behind, you know. Oh, really? How was do you, you deal with banking? What about insurance? Right. What about your car? What about your house? What about right. your bills? Right. right, right, figuring all that out and making sure I had a will, and you know all my stuff was in a truss, if something happens to me, what happens to my stuff right that's all stuff that needs to be done anyway, but we never really think about it right, and it's a lot of work bet. that's the hard part
0: bet. yeah,
3: riding's easy, finding <laughs> tacos is pretty easy,
0: right and you you always found the right kind of gas you never had bad gas or you know they're pouring it in jugs and filtering it yeah, through
3: yeah i they're pouring it in jugs and places i never had gas problems um oh, wow, that's but amazing. i think that bmw is pretty flexible you yeah know, for sure i think it'll run on just about anything <laughs> even though it says premium probably it, run
0: on a Sour Toe cocktail. If you yeah, needed I to. think
3: the Sour Toe cocktail would feel it just fine.
2: <laughs> right. um, awesome. Uh,
3: it, yeah, met wonderful people um, that I'm still friends with today. Um, saw tons of weird animals and cool things. And um, sounds
0: absolutely amazing.
3: It's quite the trip. Uh, yeah. And I had nothing. Well, I assumed I would return home get my stuff out of storage, move back into my house, go back to work. Right. As you know, it's been four years now. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) I haven't quite done that. (laughs) So then you're headed off to the next part of the journey. All right, well, we'll cover that next time.
3: Yeah, right. right on.
0: Thanks, George.